the day happened to be November 23rd, 2017. And I remember this because that was Thanksgiving Day. Now, I'm not sure what prompted me to do this, but I knew the gym was open and that some of my friends were getting together for a workout, and I thought, I should go too. And no good deed goes unpunished, right? So I go to the gym, and we begin our warm-ups, and I do something called a bear crawl. Does anyone know what this is? Yeah? I'm not going to demonstrate it for you because it's, it's ridiculous. But I'm, I'm doing this bear crawl, and all of a sudden, I fall. I'm pretty prone to accidents, so that's not surprising, but this fall was uh, especially humiliating because as I fell, uh, my hand twisted and I heard my thumb pop and I fell right over on my side. Now, I uh, don't like to be down and out for the count and I don't cry in front of people, uh, so ridiculously enough, I got up and I finished the workout. That was a bad decision. I go home, and my thumb is a little sore, but it's not too bad. So we go through our Thanksgiving day. I go to bed, and the next morning when I wake up, my thumb is swollen to like twice its normal size, and it's killing me. So Tyler takes me to urgent care. Um, there they look at my thumb, they x-ray it, they're like, oh, you have a sprain, put on this splint, go home, rest it for a week, and you'll be fine. So I do all of that, I go home, I rest for a week, and it's not any better. Now it's swollen to three times its size, and I'm taking ibuprofen every, like, four hours. So I decide to go see a hand specialist. And when I go see the hand specialist, he doesn't put, put me through any more x-rays, he doesn't, like, you know, do anything outrageous. All he does is he takes my hand, puts it down on the table, and he says, let me check your mobility. And he takes my thumb, and you know, like my thumb stops here, but that day it kept going, and I couldn't even look. It was disgusting. He says, Serena, when you fell, you ruptured the tendon in your thumb, and the only way we can fix this is through surgery. And I'm like, yay! So I have the surgery, um, right? Not, not too great. Fortunately, it was my left hand, not my right, because then I couldn't do anything. But I was still a student, and you do use your left hand when you're typing. Also, I was scheduled to go to Cuba that January. Um, I was doing better. The doctor said, yeah, you're good to go, just don't take off your brace, except as it turns out when you go through security, because a plastic brace is clearly a cause for concern. So I'm in Cuba, and my thumb's still hurting. Um, and amazing things happen in Cuba. So I go through the week, and we're praying for people to be healed, and God's spirit is moving, and people are coming to Christ, and women are being rescued from sex trafficking. And at the end of the week, one of the people in the church I was at came up and said, hey, can I pray for your, your hand? I'm like, yeah, I guess. Um, so I give him my hand, and he puts his hand on top of it. I'm like, ah, that's going to hurt, but it didn't, oddly enough. And then other people started to come around and prayed for my hand. Um, and when he was done praying, I had no pain, which was a great relief. And the next day, when I woke up to go home, I had no pain. So I get to the next week, and I have my final follow-up with my surgeon, and he's prepared me to like go into physical therapy. He said, you know, you're never really going to have like the full motion of that thumb. And he takes my brace off and I hadn't done that. And he says, all right, let's check your mobility. I want you to do this. And I raised up my hand and I went, 
And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he says, oh, let me, let me see, you know, make sure that everything's good and strong. And he's like, yeah, yeah, your, your ligament's good, your tendons are good. He's like, you healed really fast. <laughs> In that moment, I was terrified. <laughs> you know, going for prayer around people I don't know was unsettling. But being with a doctor who's done this a million times um, and who was expecting to put me in through like four to six weeks of physical therapy, who was expecting me to not have really any range of motion in my thumb at that point, um, being able to move my thumb surprised me, surprised him, and I knew why it happened. So I, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did heal really fast. I was prayed for in Cuba, and uh, I haven't had any pain, and it looks like the mobility's back. And he just looked at me, he's like, well, come back and see me if anything changes. Our scripture lesson from today comes from Acts chapter 4. But to understand what's happening in Acts chapter 4, we have to back up to the beginning of Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped them up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John then took this opportunity to share with the people how this man became healed. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. They went on to teach people about this Jesus, this Jesus who had come to earth and was raised from the dead, this Jesus who was, in fact, the Messiah that God had been promising to the nation of Israel. Now, there are many people who read stories like this in the Bible and find it hard to believe, impossible even. But healing wasn't uncommon not in Jesus' day, and especially for Jesus. And in fact, healing is not uncommon in our world today. 
Some of you may remember a while back, one of our um, sisters, Susan Tate, was about to have a grandson, um, and the prognosis was not good. This child was expected to be born with holes in his heart. Um, they weren't even sure that he was going to live. We prayed fervently for this child. And Henry, today, has no developmental delays. delays. There are no remaining holes in his heart. They've closed. He is a healthy, thriving child. Healing isn't even uncommon in our daily lives. Every day, God protects us and keeps us from injury, even if we don't recognize it. And God is constantly among us, healing us, not just our bodies, but our souls and our emotions and our thinking. But praying for healing or receiving prayer for healing often takes great faith for us. But as I read over today's scripture, the praying for healing, I don't think was the difficult part for Peter and John. I mean, they were just doing the things that Jesus had done and told them to do. So our story goes to the next level. They healed the man, and then they preached to the people. Then the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. By the way, the last time someone in scripture was greatly disturbed, it was at the birth of Jesus, and he massacred people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. The last time somebody was seized in the evening and put in jail that we're told about in scripture, it was Jesus. And his trial did not end so well, at least not from our perspective. According to Dr. Carl Albrecht, an author and modern-day thinker in business, we all share five common fears. Now, these kind of correspond to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Everyone in here ever heard of Maslow's hierarchies of needs? Yeah, we all have needs in our lives. They start with our physical needs, then our safety, then our need for love and acceptance. And eventually, uh, you get to the point where the only need you have is for self-actualization, for self-betterment, to become the best version of you you can be. So these correspond to these needs, and the fears go like this. The first fear is of extinction. Now, this sounds like the fear of death, but it's not actually the fear of death per se. It's the fear of no longer being, right? The fear after that is mutilation or bodily invasion, the fear that someone is going to injure you or that you're going to become injured so that you lose a part of your body or so that you're disfigured. After that, there's loss of autonomy. We are, I think, all pretty familiar with this fear. When you make a decision and you lock in, you're committed to something, and so now you are closed off to other opportunities. Or when you become ill and you find you can't care, care for yourself, or you're injured and you can't care for yourself, or you've watched your parents grow older and you think, I'm getting there too, and I don't want to go down this path because I can't do for myself all the things I've usually done. After that, we fear separation, abandonment, or rejection. 
And finally, assuming that all of those other fears are addressed, we still fear, fear humiliation. We fear being ashamed. We fear feeling worthless. So these are all part of being human. And they all speak to the Christian experience. As we look at this, the gospel story, we see all of these things happening to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is crucified. When he's being crucified, Peter denies Jesus. He's a, he abandons him. And now we come to the point where Peter and John are being thrown into prison and are preparing to go on trial. Fear, in my opinion, would have been a very understandable response in this situation. Maybe even expected, given all that had happened. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So the religious leaders brought Peter and John before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Pastors and preachers read this and you're like, man, that's some good preaching, right? What happens after this? I mean, if you hear someone proclaiming that to the people who have them on trial, you're going to be a little startled, right? But what caught the attention of the religious leaders was that Peter and John were just ordinary guys. They had been fishermen, which is kind of a gross job, right? And then they recognized Peter and John as people who had been with Jesus. These ordinary men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Looking through Acts, we learn that when the Holy Spirit feels someone, everything changes. The gospel just pours out of their mouths, it invades their thoughts and decisions, it even invades their pocketbook. When the Holy Spirit feels, fills someone in scripture, we see that they become fearless. They are not afraid of other people or even death. One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone familiar? So these fine young men, these fine young Hebrew men, um, are called before Nebuchadnezzar because they are not engaging in worshiping the god of Nebuchadnezzar or of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so this makes the king a little bit mad, and he decides to make an example of them by throwing them into a fiery furnace, right? Like they are going to be burned alive. And Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, show us the response that these fine young men had. They looked at the king, and they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's bold. We believe God's going to rescue us, but you know what? Even if he doesn't, even if we perish, nobody here is going to worship your God. No one's going to bow before your power. When the Holy Spirit fills people in Scripture, they become disinterested in all of the things that kind of capture our hearts in society. They don't engage in discord. They aren't jealous. They don't want to be angry. They don't have selfish ambition anymore. They don't slander or talk about other people. They don't gossip, and they aren't arrogant. And not only does this boldness come and this turning of one's attentions and attitudes to the thing of God, we see that people in Scripture who are filled with the Holy Spirit don't worry about wealth or possession anymore. Christ taught them to give freely, to give as people needed, and they are not afraid to do so. So as I read through the book of Acts, I can only come to one conclusion. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and be fearful or selfish or spiteful. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you can't not proclaim the good news of Jesus. You can't not talk about the kingdom of God, because God's love is overwhelming, and the Holy Spirit changes everything within you. So this morning, I come with the question, how has the Holy Spirit inspired us to proclaim the gospel? Are we inspired to love our family when they are driving us up the wall? Are we inspired to love our classmates and, and share with them and be kind to them even when they aren't returning that kindness to us? Our neighbor, who is completely unlike us in every single way, is the Holy Spirit inspiring us to go to them, to know them, to love them as a brother or sister. And what about our enemies? Is the Holy Spirit filling us so that those that we perceive as our enemies, we learn to pray for and to love? Do we speak words of kindness to them? Do we bless them as Jesus told us to? Where is the Holy Spirit leading us to be fearless and to fearlessly and selfishly follow Jesus? Sometimes I don't see it in my own life. And so this morning, if you're like me, and you're terrified to tell people that others prayed for you and that's why you're feeling better, or if you look at your life in your day-to-day -day living and you just can't see God working sometimes, if you haven't seen the Holy Spirit producing the fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness 
and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If you haven't been willing to go where people need that love or where people are struggling, when these things happen, we're missing out. You're missing out. We're all missing out on these things. But we don't have to. That's what happened in the book of Acts. And it's easy to look at the book of Acts and say, yeah, that was back when Jesus had walked the earth and the apostles knew him personally, so of course they were fearless and loving and gracious and generous. And... But look at us. We're so far removed. But I don't think that the book of Acts just describes what had happened among the apostles in the early church. I think the book of Acts tells us what is supposed to happen in our daily lives. Because God is the same yesterday and today and forever. God has given us the gifts of the church in our scripture, and they tell us who he is. And then in the book of Acts especially, we see the Spirit telling us who we are supposed to be. God hasn't changed his mind about any of this. The teachings of Jesus are no less true today. When we are called to love our enemies, when we are called to be humble, when we are called to put down our arms and to bless our neighbors, to treat our neighbors as we want to be treated, none of that has changed. But sometimes what changes is that we get caught up in our day-to-day -day lives, and after a while, we, we don't have time anymore to read the Bible daily. We don't have necessarily the time in the morning to give God more than five minutes of prayer. Or we go to bed and we're exhausted, so we think, I'll, I'll, God knows what's happened today. God, help me get a good night's sleep so tomorrow when I wake up, I can spend time with you. Uh, we get caught up in our schedules, in our kids' sports, in the television. We get caught up in all of these things, and eventually, it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't here, it's that we aren't here for the Holy Spirit anymore. Amen? Because I see it happen. So this morning, I'm going to be a little bold, and I'm going to ask you, um, or invite you, to pray with me. If you want the courage of the Holy Spirit, if you're tired of all the anger that you see in the media, if you're tired of the anger and anxiousness that you see in the news, if you've been missing out on sharing the love of Jesus, or if you can barely remember the last time that someone accused you of being brave or joyful or having wisdom, I invite you to stand and pray with me this morning. I'm going to be a little more bold, and I'm going to ask that you hold your hands out to God as we pray. Father, we say we know who you are, and you tell us who we are. But Father, in our day-to-day -day lives, it's easy to forget. And God, as we look at the scripture in the book of Acts, we see your servants doing miraculous things, being bold when we might be fearful, healing people when we might just be willing to pass them by, giving to others when we're tempted to keep everything we have to ourselves. 
And God, all the things that we see your people in Scripture doing, we know that we are not able to do without the presence and filling of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray now. Christ Jesus, we ask you now to fill us again. To become such a real presence in our lives that we can no longer deny it. To fill us to the point that we don't have time or room to be angry or to gossip. We don't have time or room to not tell other people how wonderful you are and to share the joy that you have given us and the peace that you have given us with our family and friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. Lord, I pray that you empower us to be bold, to be filled with courage. I pray that you form us into people who fearlessly and selflessly follow our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, not just at church on Sunday mornings, but in every minute of our day. Father, thank you for sending to us your very presence. Thank you that you haven't left us alone to face the trials and troubles of this world. Father, attune our heart to yours. And as you begin to move in our lives and as we begin to respond with joy and boldness and fearlessness, we will give you all the praise and glory for all the things that you are doing. And we pray these things now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>